Hey, it's Barbara Phillips with NPBO, and I wanted to give you a heads up on a webinar that we have coming up Thursday, May 16th, and it will be with a certified healthcare privacy person who has been in charge of a very large healthcare organization and their privacy compliance, HIPAA, and all of that sort of thing. And I think it's very important that all clinicians attend this one because HIPAA affects all of us. And so you can get more information about that at npbusiness.org forward slash privacy matters. And just another quick heads up after that, in June, we'll be talking with someone who has been in charge of the IT compliance to protect the organization. And so this one will be geared toward how do you protect yourself as well as your practice. And I'll be sharing more information about that later. So let's move on with the podcast. This is the NP Business Matters podcast, episode number nine, with Suzanne Wortman on Daring to Lead. to the NP Business Matters podcast. I'm your host, Barbara C. Phillips, founder of Nurse Practitioner Business Owner and the Clinician Business Institute, where we have been providing education, resources, and support about the business of being a nurse practitioner since 2007. And you can learn more by visiting our websites at npbusiness.com and the clinicianbusinessinstitute.com. So before I get into today's episode, I'd like to invite you to do three different things. First, I'd like you to head over to iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts and make sure that you're subscribed. Secondly, leave your feedback and share the podcasts with your colleagues. And finally, visit our website, npbusiness.com forward slash podcasts for the show notes of today's episode and also all of our episodes where you can find resources and links and any other information that you might need about the business of being a nurse practitioner. Now, today I'm interviewing Suzanne Wortman. Suzanne is a certified nurse midwife, and she also serves as the state government affair consultant for the American College of Nurse Midwives. I was fortunate enough to get to know Suzanne when she was a fellow in the Duke Johnson & Johnson Nurse Leadership Program, where I was a project coach. I was really intrigued with her project on improving communication and thus leadership based on the work of Brene Brown. So I invite you to take a listen because she shares a lot of good tips and resources, and I'll also be putting everything in the links in our show notes. So for now, let's go ahead and get started. So Suzanne, I am so glad you're here with me today, and I'd like to go ahead and start out with... Um, how we met. So I met you when you came in to the Duke Johnson and Johnson nurse leadership program. And yeah, and you were doing some work I had not seen anybody do. So do you want to talk a little bit about that? Sure. Um, So I, um, it's interesting. I made a transition from clinical practice to um, working for, um, my professional organization, which is the American College of Nurse Midwives. And I work as a um, consultant in 
state government affairs. Um, so I'm I'm working directly with midwife leaders in state affiliates on their um, advocacy efforts. Um, so working on strategy, working on legislative priorities. Um, most of the work that's being done is through um, it's for for um, better practice environments. So making laws and policies that improve access to midwifery. And um, it's funny because I had thought about over the years, um, because I'm in North Carolina, uh, so I was well familiar with um, the Duke Johnson & Johnson program um, while I was in clinical practice. So it was a a little bit strange to be be in um, in a role that's not directly involved in, in clinical practice, but yet so, um, in need of, of good leadership skills. So it it really worked out well for me. When you did, um, your program or your project, because everyone does a, a project in the program, um, I, I think yours was probably one of the more unique ones I had seen, um, in my years there. And, I remember the results that you got were pretty amazing for people. I mean, because you're talking about changing people's behaviors, basically. Um, do you want to talk about that? Sure. Yeah. I So I used um, Brene Brown's book called Dare to Lead. And um, the book um, is written, um, for those of you who are not familiar, by a, by a, a a social worker, researcher, um, self-titled storyteller (laughs) who is on a quest to make sure that we are all living a wholehearted life. And so she wrote this particular book um, about how to um, cultivate daring leadership through actionable steps. So it was really great because a a lot of the work um, of setting up the project was kind of already done for me in terms of the way the book is organized. And then on her website, she's got a great hub of, of, um, of information. There's a, um, a self-assessment and, um, and there's a, a read along workbook that you can use and tailor to your group. So I recruited 10, um, nurse midwife leaders, um, or actually I would say leaders in midwifery because we did have some staff members involved and, uh, we met, um, once a month for a couple of hours each time. Um, and it was four, four meetings. I think we ended up actually meeting five times in total. Um, and I had everyone take the self-assessment at the beginning, and then I had them repeat the self-assessment after we were finished reading the book and working through the discussion questions and the exercises that we did on our own. And it was remarkable. I, well, first of all, I want to say, I, I th- kind of thought on one hand that, um, you know, with my colleagues being nurses and midwives, that they would be good at communication. So I think we, we are pretty good at communication in general with our patients, <laughs> but maybe not so much with each other. 
so, so that was kind of where my, um, you know, when I did my needs assessment, when I was thinking about the project that I wanted to do, I, I wanted, you know, I, my, my overall goal and my why in my job is, is to make midwifery more mainstream in the United States and, and help to improve access to midwifery. Um, and I feel like sometimes we're our own worst enemies and we give our power away. And a lot of that is in, in ways that we, um, make decisions, um, and in ways that we treat each other. And, um, I think, you know, we see a lot of this, um, you know, we were talking a little bit earlier about, um, bullying in nursing. I think we see a lot of, um, of, of that kind of behavior in nursing and midwifery because we, we are in a, um, a, a community, you know, in this hierarchical medical community, we're not at the top of the heap. Um, so there's, um, there's a lot of, of, uh, bad habits <laughs> learned early. So I think, you know, one of the things about this project was to undo those bad habits. Right. So, so, um, she, um, organizes, um, the work into four skill sets. And the first skill set is rumbling with vulnerability. The second one is, is living into our values. The third is braving trust. And the fourth is learning to rise. And so, you know, there are these four sets of skills and each builds on the other. So, you know, you, you can't get and her tenant is all about courage, right? Courage, it, courage is a heart word. Um, and you can't get to courage without rumbling with vulnerability. And that vulnerability is actually strength rather than what we tend to think of. I, I'll never forget there was a time um, in nursing school, and I'm sure you experienced this too. Don't let them see you cry. Oh my gosh, yes. Right? Oh my gosh, yes. And not just in nursing school, but even as a nurse in clinical practice, particularly in ICU. Yeah. yeah. So for me, I always felt like the odd man out or odd woman out because <laughs> I cry when I'm happy. I cry when I'm sad. When I'm angry, I cry. Um, I, when I'm happy, I cry. <laughs> so I thought, oh gosh, you know, like how you know, we're all, we all go into, um, the hospital, the healthcare setting that we're in kind of armored up. And, um, I think one of the things that I've noticed with my colleagues, when we've been working together, it's one of the, the things, one of the pitfalls of our, of our, um, profession is that we are in fight mode and armored up all the time. And we don't know, you know, we see it as we are advocating for our patients, right? But it's like, we can't turn it off. And when it comes to each other, we don't know how to take the armor off and, and trust each other. And it, it, it can make for, it, may, it can make it really difficult to lead. I, I think that is such an excellent metaphor, but it also points to me anyway, when I hear about armor 
and and it I think it fits, you mm-hmm. know, just thinking back to my days, then we're always also in a defensive mode. That's right. You know, we're always like scanning and danger, danger, Will Rogers type of That's a right. thing. That's right. That's right. And being able to say, I love this quote, embrace the suck, you know, that we can like say, we're going to have a really tough conversation right now. You're going to have an idea. I'm going to have an idea, but in order for us to get someplace together, we've got to have the conversation and to have the conversation is that we have to show up open-minded and with an open heart to listen and listening, listening. I feel like we don't do a good job listening to each other. And I don't know if it's because we just empty the cup, you know, we're always giving, giving, giving to our patients and in our, in our work. You know, I think that can certainly be some of it. And actually in one of the other episodes of the podcast, I, I talk with somebody who's going to talk about, um, and I say going to, because it just hasn't been published yet <laughs> at the time you and I are talking, but we, we talk about self-care mm-hmm. and because we lack that, mm-hmm. I think we lack the resilience mm-hmm. for the other. Absolutely. And um, I won't go into necessarily right now the the metaphor that I've always used when I talk with particularly women patients Mm -hmm. uh, about self-care, but it's true. You know, we were empty. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And there's um, uh, machismo with that. You know, there's a braggadocio, there's this Oh, how, well, how long? Oh, you know that I stayed up for two days and did clinic and saw 75 oh, yes. patients and da, 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 like, ah, I'm more empty than you are. <laughs> <laughs> true. It's true. Who can see the most people with the most charts, with the most medications? Yes. And, and I do it all myself because I don't get an MA. That's right. That's right. Oh, you have an MA? Oh, aren't you fancy? <laughs> but it's true. Yeah. And and um, it's so toxic. You know, that part of healthcare is so toxic because what we know about vulnerability is it's okay to say I need help. And it's actually a sign of strength to say, you know what, I can't do this by myself. I'm going to need to get some help, to get, find this answer, to figure this out. I think a lot of times we think we have to do all of it ourselves and, yes. um, and we don't turn to the experts, you know, particularly in um, association work, I see this, you know, and, and, and with the, the, the work that I do in advocacy, you know, there are people that do this for a living, <laughs> And we need to trust them. I think so many times it's like, oh, no, I can't trust them to do the, you know, nobody knows about midwifery like I do. And it's like, well, but yeah, this person might know how to sell it to a particular legislator or to a particular stakeholder group. And, and just because they're selling it in a certain way does not mean that it's wrong. Um, And just get out of their way, you know, let them do let them do the, their professional work. And if they give you advice, take it, you know, that, that it's, we're not the experts at everything. 
I think we're so used to um, MacGyvering our way out of every situation <laughs> clinically that we right. can't, it's, we have a hard time trusting. So that self-care piece is huge because it's self-care and self-awareness and how, knowing how we show up in a, in a fearful situation, knowing how we show up in a stressful situation. Um, and then, you know, understanding when we put that armor on, recognizing it so that we maybe can take, take it off before we get fully armored up. Right. Um, and, and the other piece of it, I think is that it's okay to make a mistake. What? <laughs> Maybe I should repeat that. It's okay <laughs> to make mistakes. And actually, we all make them. I think a lot of what drives us in our, um, you know, this really responsible work of bringing new life into the world and making sure that people are only pregnant when they want to be pregnant and keeping two people healthy and alive at the same time. And, you know, all of that, again, hard to shut it off. Right. And hard to like, you know, not everything is a high stakes situation like that. That is. Um, so understanding self-compassion and whew, that's such a hard one. Well, I think it really is hard. I mean, if, if I don't know about you, but certainly when I, I mean, let's go back to nursing 101. I was not allowed to make a mistake. That's right. And if I did, the consequences were, um, they were embarrassing because I got called out. Mm -hmm. um, and potentially they were career killing mm -hmm. because I could get out of, be kicked out of school. And, and, and we start that whole idea of not making mistakes when we're children, right. really. Right. So I think it becomes hard. And then it becomes even harder when you look at the work you're doing, like you were saying, keeping mm -hmm. two people alive mm -hmm. or the nurse who's in the critical care unit who doesn't recognize that they've got a fatal arrhythmia going on. Mm -hmm. I mean, those are big mistakes. Mm -hmm. But then the whole idea of, oh, they did not get their jello at dinner. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, we have to look at the level of mistake. Right. How important is it? <laughs> right. And then, you know, thinking too about the culture, it's sort of a corollary related. It's the culture of, 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 of um, secrecy. Right. That if, you know, sometimes when people do are making mistakes or um, maybe not mistakes, but maybe actually mistreating patients or colleagues, there's um, there's secrecy around that. Right. And that's, you know, then we get into that, the idea of um, the whistleblower and, you know, somebody who's brave enough to come out and say, this is not okay because there's this culture that keeps all of, all of those things hidden. Um, it does. And, and, and one of the things that I do know though, and I did see it with this group um, in my project is that courage is contagious. So you can actually create a culture 
where bravery is rewarded and where tough conversations are cultivated and you, you make it expected, like, don't come here with your armor. You know, that's just going to keep us back. So, so take it off. You're okay. This is a safe space and we're going to work things out. It's not a safe space where we avoid things, but it's going to be a a place where we, we, um, we take care of each other. Where you take care of each other and can have those tough conversations. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, if you've got a super toxic group of, of people and, and, and I'm not even going to say of leaders, but just, Mm -hmm. you know, your the, the unit you might work in or the clinic you might work in, or for goodness sakes, even your family, Mm -hmm. um, where, where would, where would somebody start with this? Mm -hmm. I think it's first understanding what you think about vulnerability and trust. Um, so, you know, one of the things, um, that, that we talk about is, is, you know, saying, you know, I, the sentence, I grew up believing that vulnerability is and saying it, you know, saying it out loud. Um, trust is, is slow building. So you don't necessarily need to have trust before vulnerability, but it's, it's sort of like a chicken and egg thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's not a standoff, <laughs> I guess. So it's like, you've got to be able, it's a tough one. You've got to be able to, to, I think as a leader, it's incumbent on leaders to set the stage mm-hmm. and say, this is how we're going to do things. And I think that's, what's so great about this, this about Brene's work and especially this book um, in healthcare I think if we could get this into every nurse leader's hands, we could change, we could change healthcare in America. Um, I get goosebumps when I say that because it, because there are steps, right? Mm -hmm. There are, there are steps. And, and first is understanding what vulnerability is and what it isn't right. Vulnerability isn't like, blabbing at the nurse's station about your one night stand over the weekend. Like that's not vulnerability. That's, that's TMI. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Please don't share that with me. (laughs) That's right. That is exactly right. You know, it's about feeling. Um, It's not about like, uh, what's that? My favorite saying that I, when I moved, when I moved to North Carolina, um, put your big girl panties on. That's not yeah. it. <laughs> that's not it. Not suck it up and get her done. You know, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about like that. It's okay to say at the end of a long clinic day, wow, that really sucked. <laughs> You know, and to be how be able to debrief with your team in a way that gives validity to those feelings, 
um, instead of pushing them down. So that's, that's the place to start believing that vulnerability um, is strength and that feelings are strength. So, you know, understanding that if you feel sad with a patient, that can be powerful. How so? Hmm. I want to, I want to, I'm trying to think of a, an example that's not such a, a horrendous one, but the only one that's coming to my mind right now is, uh, is a, a, a stillbirth that I attended and, um, uh, the, the patient, um, it's the idea that you've got to connect. It's not, so, you know, it's not sympathy, right? It's empathy. So it's connecting with that person to say, this really is a horrible situation right now. And I'm here. You're here. We're going to get through this together. And I'm not going to put a brave face on. I'm going to grieve with you. And I'm not going to take your grief. Your grief is your grief. You know, this is, this was your baby. Um, mm-hmm. But I can be sad with you. Right. And, and that's okay. Um, I remember leaving the room at one point. Um, it, she had, uh, it was, it, it was a situation where she, um, was, um, close to the end of the, um, I think her due date was just days away. And, um, so she had to labor. She was really uncomfortable. So she, um, she got an epidural so she could be more comfortable. And once she was comfortable and, um, had a minute to rest, I, I left the room and, um, the door closed and I just slid down the wall with the nurse and mm-hmm. we cried and dusted ourselves off and, um, you know, went back in when we needed to, to get back in there. And, you know, we were together for them and it's, a, it's a relationship that I, um, continue to this day. And this is a, uh, a, a birth that happened over, um, over 10 years ago. Yeah. Uh, and it's so like, it's, and it's, there's something for me, there's something for the patient, you know, that we're mm-hmm. on a, I think there's that, that part of it too, that there it's, we're on, we're on the same plane. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, this, this conversation just, it, it kind of brings tears to my eyes, just remembering a situation that I had of a man who I'd probably seen him through about six different ICU admissions. Mm. And it was side effects to the treatment that he received. Mm -hmm. You know, for those that are familiar with um, bone marrow transplants, it was a pretty bad case of graft versus host disease. And, Mm. and, and this was early. This was, so this was many, many years ago. And the last discharge before this admission, he had told me, he said, you know what, if I come back and see you again, that means it's my time. And you don't, I mean, we talked about what that, what he was really saying. And so we had that conversation. And I remember being off for a week, 
coming back to work, getting off the elevator to go in and change into my scrubs and stuff. And his family was waiting for me (gasps) right there at the elevator because they had found out that I was coming back and what time I would be on. And they just said, please make sure you're his nurse. He's Mm -hmm. asking for you because it's time. Yeah. And you know, I, I saw him, I spoke with his physicians Mm-hmm. You know, because I'm 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 not a nurse practitioner at this time. I'm I'm an RN, and you know, I just said, you know, we we need PRN medication for him. Mm-hmm. You know, he goes, okay, well, I'll just write a cue. I said, no time, PRN medication. Mm-hmm. This is his call, mm-hmm. and um, when it was all over. Um, I was so teary, so, so teary, so sad. Mm-hmm. Obviously, not as sad as the family no, who no. just lost their husband, their fa- their father. Um, but very, very sad. And I didn't hear the support that, I mean, I was completely vulnerable at that time, mm-hmm. but it wasn't there. It was, oh, can't you take working here? I'd already been in ICU over 10 years, folks, you know, so it's not like you haven't seen a lot of stuff to you. Why are you letting this get to you? Right. And I think, um, you know, for each other, for us just working together, um, leaders or just leaders of ourselves, these kinds of skills, you know, to be able to say, I know that really hurts. How can we support you? Or or whatever it is that, that Brene is is recommending. But mm-hmm. I know that that was one of my experiences. But be in it. That's the rumbling part. The rumbling with vulnerability yes. is be in it. Don't I push it away. I was definitely in it. Right? <laughs> be in it. And, yes. and, um, and don't avoid it and don't run from it. You know, it's like recognizing, I think, just simply that as humans, we're going to be in these uncomfortable situations mm-hmm. and, and ignoring them, I, I think really amplifies vicarious trauma. I think part of vicarious trauma is, is that denial that it touches us. And yes. We're kind of getting off that onto that, that, but, but I think there's something in that. Um, that we carry with us when we're, when we're trying to, to lead. So just being able to be vulnerable, um, we can't opt out of it. We can't engineer, you know, we can't plan. We can't, I, I hear it all the time. Um, whenever we are discussing something that's really controversial in midwifery, well, it's going to make somebody upset. We can't do that. It's like, <laughs> yeah, it's going to make somebody upset. And, yeah. but, but it's also going to make a lot of people happy. And, and the second, the second piece of this, right, is living into your values. And it's in alignment with all of our values. You know, if we look at our list of things that we stand for in midwifery, this is on the list and it's going to make some people upset, but 
if we don't live with our values, if we don't do things that are in alignment, then we're, 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 we're sunk. We're sunk. Yes. Yes. And even when we are in that place of fear, you know, especially that's when it gets tested, right? Like, what are we going to do? I love um, what Brene Brown says. It's like, you know, it's, it's not cheap, fast and easy. You know, usually living into our values means that we have to do things that are hard and we can, and we can, and we can, (laughs) and we walk the talk and we, um, make sure that not only what we say, right, the values aren't just words on a page, that we're living those values, we're intentional about those values, you know, we are struggling right now, like I think many um, nursing organizations, and many people in general in in the United States with, um, with racism, we're tangling with racism and midwifery. And, you know, the truth is, we have a long um, history in the development of our profession. Um, and the profe- I would say the professionalization of midwifery has inherently been racist in America, um, with the extinction of the grand midwife or granny midwives of the South, um, with the extinction of the immigrant midwives who, you know, took care of folks and with the, with the move from, from um caring for for people in the home versus caring for people in the hospital you know that move to the hospital as the norm got rid of a lot of inherent self-care in the community and now we're scratching our heads and racking our brains like how do we get more people to provide culturally congruent care well we got rid of them we should we need to acknowledge that part first we we purposefully got rid of them in the um the late 1800s and into the into the 1900s finally finishing it off i would say in most states in the 1970s and 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 in saying that that's the whole movement of of midwives were to be nurse midwives right yep public health nurse midwives were actually that was the full the full title and, you know, um, the frontier nursing service and the Lobenstein clinic in New York. Um, these were places where, where people were trained and, and, um, and the laws. And that's where we get to the, you know, for me, that's the intersection there is that the, you know, policies have been made, um, and, and laws were made to make midwifery extinct, by attrition, you know, as soon as, as one of those grand midwives reached a certain age, it was just too hard to pass it down to somebody else. You know, it was too hard to, to stay in, in business, um, because there were so many hurdles and it was even in many States in the South made illegal really to practice that that kind of midwifery. Yeah. There, there still are midwives who are not nurses. nurses. That's true. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, and are you talking about that portion of them as well? Or are we just talking about in the community, my grandmother did this? That's right. In the community that, that, um, that community knowledge, that knowledge outside the academic gates. Hmm. 
It's a nice way to put it, I think, <laughs> academic gates. Because because are there are yeah. gates. Yep. There there are definitely mm-hmm. barriers um to becoming midwives. And and, and I don't really want to get too, and you nurses. Know, yeah. yeah, that could be yeah. a whole nother <laughs> I was gonna say I don't really <laughs> want to get into the right or wrong of of any yeah. of that. Um but you know it becomes comes an issue i mean one of the things that you were saying was getting and and i don't know what the numbers of midwives are but having midwives that are can provide care in a vast diverse area of the country you know yeah. we already know for instance in african american communities there just aren't enough midwives yeah. and we have a high rate of infant mortality and maternal mortality. And it's, maternal, if yeah. you are a black woman in the United States of America and, and, and it's, it, it's beyond income or education level, you're three to four times more likely to die of a pregnancy related preventable cause. Yeah. And it's racism. Yeah. That it's at the crux. And so we are in this place where where, you know, and I mean, overall, um, in maternity care, we're in a crisis in the United States, it's more dangerous to give birth now than it was 20 years ago. So there's something that we, it's a critical time. And I think that's what really pressed me to come back to the leadership part of things. It's a very critical time for us to be leading um, with courage. And, Mm -hmm. and, and staying in alignment with our values and, and trusting each other to make the right decisions and moving, moving the profession forward. Mm-hmm. I, I think we're at a critical place right now where I think when, when we look back at this time in history, um, there will be, there will be places to say, Hey, we did, we did a good job there. And then other places where, wow, we really missed the boat. And so my goal is to make sure that we're as agile as possible and that, that we really are not letting the system get the best of us, letting the powers that be get the best of us, you know, the infighting and, and you, you know, from nursing, it's that all of our own worst enemies. Right. And, um, you know, and as we were talking, even before we started recording it, it does come back to, to actually almost everything come back, comes back to this and it's communication. Mm-hmm. So it's communication with the leaders that you work with. Mm-hmm. It's communication with our colleagues, mm-hmm. you know, the stakeholders, mm-hmm. uh, legislators, all of this sort of thing. And I, if I remember correctly with this, you know, using daring to lead, you were able to increase the communication skills mm-hmm. or the communication skills of the people who took part in the project so that the conversations were far more meaningful. Yeah. And you could actually get work done. Yeah. 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 And so, you know, just based on that, and obviously it's not double-blinded placebo-controlled no, study no, no. or anything like that, but <laughs> it certainly sounds like nurse leaders, regardless if it's, uh, you know, psychiatric, pediatric, family, adult, anesthetist, mm-hmm. you know, whatever the case may be, leaders in those areas would 
do well by reading this book Absolutely. and taking up the challenge. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, there's a couple of other things. I know we've talked about really serious things with vulnerability and, um, you know, tough, tough conversations, but there's also the other, the other part of this is, is gratitude and joy. And I was just looking at one of the quotes that I have underlined and actually starred in the book. Um, Joy is the most vulnerable emotion we feel. Don't get too happy. Mm. That's just inviting disaster, right? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Right? Yeah. We hear that from people. Right? Oh, we can't play. We, We can't have joy. No, don't get too excited. You know, it's that thing also too of like, the goalpost is always moving, right? Like, oh, do we mm-hmm. do, you know, celebrate now, but tomorrow. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> or, or waiting for the other shoe to drop. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Really cultivating joy, I think, is a big piece of, of um, creating a culture where you can be vulnerable and where you can be courageous. Um, also, gratitude. I know we learned a lot about that. One of the um, most exciting surprises about the Duke Johnson and Johnson program was that piece, that piece. I wasn't expecting it because I was thinking nursing, (laughs) nursing leadership, we're going to learn about business. And it's going to be serious. And we're going to have to work hard. And I when. I got there. It was like, wait, there's snacks. Wait, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to have fun. Oh, we're going to learn about, you know, I still have the practice that comes up for me. um, Three good things. I have it set on my, on my phone. And even if I don't write them down, it still goes off as an alarm every night. And so I, even if I, I know I should write them down, but even not writing them down, just thinking about them, it's such a great practice to be like, okay, well, what went well today? Yeah. And sure, we want to work hard and sure, we want to keep going. And and there's that that um, that crazy idea. It's, it's, it's like, no, we can celebrate and we can be glad about the good things. And that will actually help us to work harder. We won't relax will actually just be stronger and mm-hmm. able able to to meet the, the challenges as we go on. Well, it's almost like filling up your gas can again. Exactly. You know, it's exactly. um if if you know, one of the things I've said for years and I'm sure all of us say this, but if we if we don't take the time out to take care of ourselves, then um at some point our body's going to take care of it for us. It's going to mm-hmm. stop us. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's it's the same thing when you have that gratitude. What it's doing is increasing your resilience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and increasing the joy. When you post photos of the beach, mm-hmm. because I'm so um, beach deficient right now, mm-hmm. I smile. Mm-hmm. That's exactly like, what. That's why. That's oh. that's my intention. I'm like, I got to share this. Yeah, I'm going to share yeah. this with my beach deficient friends. And I feel that way about your photos of the light of the flowers in the light and the, what you do to um, really make them radiant. I, I just, yeah, it's oh, the same you. thing. It's like, yeah. and, and being grateful for that is so, 
that even in all the chaos that is going mm-hmm. on in the United States today, mm-hmm. we could still look at pictures of beaches if we can't be walking on them well, or pictures of flowers. That's right. And, you know, it's that uh, Audre Lorde um, quote that I'm going to get wrong um, about self-care as, as a, as a, as an imperative to, you know, for, for the revolution, really. I mean, well, that we, yeah. it's, it's, it's part of um, staying strong and, and, mm-hmm. and being able to create change. Yeah. And you can always um, share that quote with me and I could put it into the show notes for the podcast. Oh yeah, I will. Yeah. Will. Yeah. Great. Absolutely. Great. Um, you know, the other thing too, I love is this um, photo, this picture that I have in my um, mind um, when Brene Brown talks about strong back, soft front, wild heart. So it's the idea that, that we're vulnerable and open but not spineless. And, yeah. and, and that there is, you don't have to be armored up to be strong. In fact, opening is stronger, right? And so mm-hmm. that we are um, uh, talking about that integration of having a strong back and a soft front. Um, so we can work from a place of compassion Compassion for one another, as well as compassion for our patients. And compassion for ourselves. Yes. Most. Yes. I think. Yes. First. First and foremost. I agree. Yeah. So looking at, I want to touch on a few more things before we go, and we're running out of time here, but um, you do a lot of advocacy work in your role. And- Right now, there's a lot of changes going on mm-hmm. in California. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned earlier, but but advocacy in general, because one of the things that I've often been a little concerned about is in nursing, there's so many different kinds of nurses, mm-hmm. and they're all off doing their own little thing. Mm -hmm. And I know even with the law, not the law, but the legislation that you guys wrote, the policies you wrote, there's going to be some conflict. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, How can we, and, and maybe this is a bigger question, how would you say that your role as an advocacy policy person around the country for midwives your interaction or your intersection, where wherever that might be, with other advanced practice organizations, we'll just leave it as advanced practice. Mm-hmm. We won't go to the whole four million of us. <laughs> but we can talk about the four. I, I mean, I think the four main main groups, right, of APRNs. Um, that seems to work pretty well in most, um, in most States. And a lot, a lot of this, I'm going to talk about from my own, um, my own perspective here in, in, um, in North Carolina. And, but I think I, I see it repeated over and over again in, 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 um, in other places too, is that we're all doing the same sort of stuff for the same reasons, you know? So, you know, sure. I'm working in sexual and reproductive health care as a midwife, and um, you may be working in um, the ICU 
as a clinical nurse specialist or, you know, in the OR as a, as a nurse anesthetist or in a, in a, you know, family practice as a, as a family nurse practitioner. Um, but we're all taking care of people and we all want to make sure that people have really good health care. And we have a lot more in common than we do have differently. And I, so I think there's some like just understanding that we all have a contribution. I think in my own experience, um, a lot of times, you know, we're at the bottom <laughs> of the hierarchy with the clinical nurse specialist because there's relatively fewer of us than there are of the nurse practitioners. And then everyone always says, oh, and the CRNAs, they're, they're always the ones that are making all the money. And, you know, it's just this whole, like, there's a hierarchy even among ourselves. And, and, you know, one of the things that's worked that I'm really proud of um, with my friends and colleagues here, and what I try to share with with other states and where they've been successful is that, you know, you all have something special. You all, you know, like we have the maternity care crisis to solve. And so, you know, that's something that a lot of lawmakers are paying attention to now. It's in the news all the time. And so, you know, you need midwives in your, in your coalition, because that's a, that's an argument that lawmakers listen to and, and, you know, and, and nurse practitioners, do so many different things and have such a variety of, of specialties and places where they can, um, can work. And there are so many nurse practitioners, like that's their special, you know, that there's a, a, there, there's a a mass, um, right. The numbers, the numbers, people pay attention to that. And, you know, the CRNAs have a lot of political power. So they've, cultivated that. And it's like just figuring out like, we're not against each other. And we shouldn't be threatened by one another. Um, And I would say even with our physician colleagues, you know, we need to put this scope of practice tussle to rest, because there's so many other issues that are bigger than that, that are that we're facing in healthcare, that we need to be aligned with with them. Again, we have more in common, and more there's so much work to do, right? There's so much work to do, but we need to learn how to talk to each other and be clear and kind and courageous and be able to rumble with each other in a way that, that gets us to, um, you know, mutually agreed upon goal. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And you're, you're so right. I mean, the, the healthcare issues, in the country are are bigger than all of us put together. They really are just looking at access and access on all levels. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, obviously that's one of the issues for, for midwives is mm-hmm. making sure that people have access to safe midwifery care mm-hmm. and, and just access, right. <laughs> you know, hospitals, right. birthing centers, prenatal care, um, postpartum care, all of that. I, I mean, it's, it's huge. Um, and certainly uh, from a nurse practitioner point of view, it's just access to healthcare in general, mm-hmm. just in general from, you know, all ages, you know, and then of course we have mental health care. That's which right. Is That's right. Huge right now. It That's is right. just huge right now with COVID and all the unrest and, and the anxieties and everything that are being yeah. And you look at, look at a policy change that was so 
clearly easy to change once we were faced with with uh, a crisis like COVID. Telehealth. Everybody was like, uh, oh, yeah, well, we're going to get to that sometime. Well, in weeks, we were able to done. figure it out. Right. And, and that's so, one thing that is not going back in a closet. No. And it's finding that will to say, like, this is important and we need to do this now. Yeah. Um, and we need to stop bickering and, and really get to get to work together. We um, have some of the tools in nursing, but we could definitely use some more skills. So I, I, I really think um, honing our leadership skills, honing our communication skills. These are, these are things that are easy to learn. Um, they're, they're not easy to learn. They are learnable. Is that, is that a word? They're, I think I just made yeah. it. <laughs> they're, they're, it's an attainable skill. Mm -hmm. You mm -hmm. just have to have the desire to really want to go there yeah. and, and not stay stuck where you are. That's right. Because we do get stuck in non-communication. Yeah. Well, it's, a, it's, it's, it's daunting. And I, I think it's being courageous, even in the face of being overwhelmed. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you think it's, it's change? It's, it's change that is mm -hmm. scary for a lot of people, I think. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause we can be comfortable over here in this non-communication space. It feels good. It's familiar, but now when I'm stepping out and I'm going to be okay with being uncomfortable to tell mm -hmm. you that I'm vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Hello. That's a whole nother mm -hmm. level. Mm -hmm. So I am thrilled you've been with us today oh, so on the podcast. And I'm yeah. And, yeah. and it's so wonderful to, to um, catch up with you again. Absolutely. And two things, how can people find you if they want to get a hold of you? Number one. And do you have some last parting words that you'd like to share? I think it's really important for us to operate in our lives and in our leadership roles and in our advocacy for patients and our communities from a space of abundance. And I know that word gets thrown around a lot lately. Um, you know, like self-care does. Like I'm not talking about bubble baths and cornucopias. I, I'm, I'm talking about really the belief that, um, that we are enough, that if we show up fully and live in alignment with our values, that we can be effective change makers, that we can be effective leaders and that we can move our, um, our professions in nursing and midwifery forward. Thank you so much for that. And, and thank you again for being here. And uh, we'll talk again soon. Thanks, Barbara. I want to thank Suzanne again for taking time out today to share her thoughts on communication, leadership, teams, and of course, Brene Brown. I want you to make sure that you take some time out and head over to the show notes at npbusiness.com forward slash podcasts and take a look at the links, uh, resources, contact information for Suzanne. And while you're there, make sure that you take a look around the blog and take note of the education resources and support that are available to you as an advanced practice nurse on the topics of the business 
of healthcare practice and business startup. Once again, that's npbusiness.com. So thank you so much for taking time out of your very busy schedule to spend time with me again today. This is Barbara C. Phillips, nurse practitioner and founder of Nurse Practitioner Business Owner. And I look forward to seeing you in the next episode of the NP Business Matters podcast. Bye-bye now.